0: Red Kite Prayer is hosting its first ever event October 12th through 14th, 2018, the Red Kite Rendezvous. The two and a half day event will feature bikes from some of the industry's top frame builders, two gravel rides, some of the world's finest craft beers which are brewed locally, plus enough food to make the pedaling fun. For more information or to register, go to redkiteprayer.com store. The Pull is brought to you by the North American Handmade Bicycle Show, the world's premier annual gathering of bicycle frame builders and frame building enthusiasts. The 2019 show will take place March 15th to 17th at the Sacramento Convention Center in Sacramento, California. We hope to see you there. From Red Kite Prayer, I'm Patrick Brady with The Pull. On this week's show, my guest is James Winchester, the product manager for Mozzie Bicycles. The role of a product manager at a bike company is, perhaps, one of the most visible expressions of what it is to work for a bike company. They are responsible for determining what a bike is, who it is meant to serve, how that bike will handle, and, ultimately, what parts go on the bike. It's the rule most second-guessed by bike shop staff. I wish I had a dollar for every time I heard a shop wrench say, I wouldn't have specced those wheels. (laughs) And while being a product manager may seem like a fun job, what with picking out what group goes on a bike or what colors that frame will be painted, it's a stunningly difficult job. A single color of a single price point of one bike model can require several hundred cells in Excel just to capture every relevant detail of a bike. Because Mozzie is one of the smaller brands out there, Winchester's duties represent the full range of what a product manager may do, which is why I wanted to get the inside scoop from him. James, thank you so much for joining me on the poll. How are you doing, man?
1: Uh, I'm pretty good. Uh, it's it's quite a surprise and an honor for you to to ask me to be on here. I I think maybe you got the wrong email address, but I'm going to roll with it for now. Oh. So.
0: Okay. I you know, <laughs> we should probably back up and start over in that case because uh yeah, I'm unaccustomed unaccustomed to uh compliments. <laughs> um so let's start with some basics for the audience uh you're in vista california which is the greater san diego metropolis um talk to people about you know what the what the community there is like and you know who's nearby because really you're you're near one of the big centers for the bike industry
1: yeah you know we call it north county uh san diego um so haro's been here for many many years um we're, we're right near oceanside kind of right where uh camp pendleton starts and then you go in orange county and things like that but you know for for bike companies nearby actually there, there's there's a decent these number you know uh, campy's just down the street from us uh except for one uphill you could almost coast from our office to theirs and you know, they're a lot closer to the beach than mm-hmm. us um yep C- canyons right nearby um next to campy who else uh canari cycling clothing is nearby you know speed play uh sure. There's a bunch of people I'm missing. Yeah. Uh, Ellsworth is kind of not, not too far. Zoic. Um, so yeah, a pretty, pretty good number of little bike companies around here. It's kind of a, um, there's a good little crew of, of bike industry people, um, yeah. in, in my neck of the woods and even in my neighborhood, it's just kind of nice.
0: So, yeah, well, and then, yeah, I'm always seeing posts on social media, uh, from, you know, you and your neighbors about the rides you're out doing. It's like, Oh, I like those people. I wish I was riding with them.
1: Yeah. There's, there's a lot of, it's, it's, it's a really good community um, more so than you find, I think just about anywhere else in the country at this point, it, you know, it used to be, you know, SoCal was, was where all the brands were and they've all kind of split up. So if you're working for a bike company, you're not really near anyone else, but uh, around here you are. Electros nearby too, I should say.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So
1: they're another yeah. big one.
0: Yeah. I, you know, it's, it's remarkable how collegial the, the community is uh, <laughs> there in North County. I, I can't really think of any other place that has so many bike companies in such close proximity where everybody is friendly and doing group rides together, regardless of what brand they work for. And that's something I think that really speaks well uh, of that particular community and also, you know, of the bike industry in general.
1: Yeah, you know, I I think... Part of it, it's the industry is one degree separation from anyone else, really. So if you haven't worked directly with someone, you work for someone who's worked with them. So people tend to be pretty close, and other, otherwise, you yeah. know. And with the exception of a few companies, there really isn't a lot of ego here. So everyone's just out making bike parts or bike frames or wheels or that stuff, and you know, we should all just get along and enjoy what we love doing so much.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So let's go back. You know, you've been in the industry for a good 20 years at this point, maybe more like 21, I think.
1: Yeah, I got my first job at a bike shop in, I think, May of 94. Oh,
0: so even in high
1: Yeah, in high school. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You don't find that in my resume probably because, you know, you know uh, mechanics slash sales for a small bike shop in New York is really applicable to, to me in, uh, at this point. But, yeah, I mean, I started off as a – yeah, I worked at a Pizza Place for a couple months and then I got a job at a bike shop and it's been bikes ever since.
0: Good for you. Yeah. So <laughs> your first big industry job was with Bikealog. Uh, mm-hmm. I certainly remember what that was. Uh, describe it for us and you know talk a little bit about the work that you did. So so
1: Bycalog really came along as this is before the internet and being able to look up who had what and for, for how much. Bycalog was a monthly subscription to bike shops that basically was a uh, total database of the bike industry. So if someone came into a shop looking for a rear derailleur you didn't sell, you could go on, on the bike log, find it, find who sold it, their part number and how much. And this is before people, you know, bike shops really consolidated their their vendors. So they had a lot more people they order stuff from. So it allowed you, you know, OK, the XCR rear derailleur is cheaper from j than it is from, from Mary sales company or something like that. So it allowed you to kind of look up that information uh additionally we we did complete bike specs so if someone came in looking for a bike you could bring up the bike you sold the bike they were looking at and kind of compare line by line uh going back for quite a few years actually
0: yeah yeah pretty um, fascinating operation
1: we actually um we were the company when when bicycle magazine used to they're the big buyer's guy that had every spec and price from every bike in the industry that came from us that information oh. so it's a, bit, it was, it's a lot of information to try and, and, and get together. Uh, and even images of bikes. This is back when they would send us slides and we would scan the slides into our computers. You know?
0: Oh my gosh! Yeah. Wow. What what an army of effort that was. Uh, mm-hmm. Wow. Uh, so from there you went on to Giant. You were inside sales. But, you know, your time there was really pretty interesting me, to me from the standpoint of you were doing one job, but busy trying to groom yourself for another. Tell tell us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah. So, you know, I, I remember working at the bike shop or at bike log thinking, oh, someday I want to own a bike company, that, a bike shop. That sounds like a lot of fun. You know, um, and then I started working at giant and then I saw the other side of the industry. Um, and I saw what you know, the guys in product development were, were doing back then, which was, you know, developing bikes. Same thing we do now, just, it was a little, actually easy, easier back then because there, there were less, uh, less options for stuff. But, uh, I kind of figured that's what I wanted to do. And so I pretty quickly made myself, uh, an unofficial intern for that department, you know, so running down, uh, Tire sizes and measuring tire sizes to make sure they work on a new downhill bike, or doing catalog shoots. We, we build, be building bikes, you know, from 4 p.m. to midnight to shoot them for the catalog, um, things like that. Back when the new, at the time, Durace 7800 came out, and we had one kit, you know, for five or six bikes. So we, we would assemble oh. just the the right side of a bike, <laughs> you know, drive side crank, drive side shifter, derailleurs, you know, and fake the cables they'd shoot it and we'd immediately strip the bike down and put them on, put all the parts on a different bike. Oh so, gosh! Um, Dennis Lane was, uh, the director of product for giant back then. And he's, he's been a huge, you know, maybe the biggest influence on me, uh, personally and professionally, uh, in the industry.
0: Yeah. Good dude at Fox now. Yeah. Yeah.
1: He's, he's, he's a big wig at Fox now. So he's, he definitely helped, helped guide me and, and has helped me many times over the years. So he's, He's uh, owe a lot to Dennis.
0: Yeah. So working 16 hour days for giant, um, <laughs> I, you were single, I'm guessing. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, I had a, I had a, I had a complicated relationship with, with someone and, and she wasn't living with me. Um, yeah, I, I had free time, I guess. I put it that way. <laughs> and then I had more, Then I had a lot more free time uh, soon after that. So, <laughs> <laughs>
0: I wouldn't know anything about that. Yeah. 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 So then on to uh your first brand management position mm-hmm. or product manager position, Veltech. Uh from there on to Felt, you arrived at Felt right after I left.
1: Yeah. It's uh, funny. Or, there, were, there, were lot, there were a lot of ex-giant yeah, a lot of ex-giant folks at at Felt and that's kind of how I how yeah. I uh, got the in there. So that was that was my first kind of taste of product development and trips to Asia and things like that. Because Veltex Sports was, you know, we, we said product manager, but it's really more brand management since you know, we weren't developing any product, just kind of handling it in North America.
0: hmm mm-hmm. um, And then it was when you get uh, to Cycling Sports Group that you really, mm-hmm. it sounds to me like you really began working as a product manager.
1: Yeah, for com- for complete bikes, for sure. That's kind of, that was the, the step from the felt stuff to, to CSG and doing the Schwinn the Schwinn IBD side of things.
0: Yeah. Um, so when you were running the, uh, the the bike models sold in IBDs, how many models was that?
1: For Schwinn? Oh, man, that's taxed my memory here, Patrick. Um, <laughs> it was probably 60 or 70 models in, in that range.
0: Good grief. Uh, yeah, even I mean, then, that was a lot.
1: Yeah, there, there were two product managers, um, and we, we had two amazing graphic design people, and, you know, I said half an engineer and half of a ID person, <laughs> um, you know, because Schwinn obviously didn't need as much engineering support as we did graphics and, and and industrial design, which is really kind of the crux of things for that brand.
0: Neat. And from there on to Specialized, um, yep. you were you were working in road bikes, but your efforts were somewhat siloed, as I understand.
1: Yeah, you, you know, um, I learned a lot. At a, at a company with a lot of resources. Um, they were kind of in transition as how, how different parts of the categories were being handled by different groups and things like that. Um, so, but yeah, we were pretty, pretty siloed from other, other parts of the company as far as your development went.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And which models were you working on?
1: The uh, Alley and Sector, which kind of then turned into the Diverge at some point, mm-hmm. And then the Cirrus pavement product. So, um, you know, flat bar, Commuter bikes.
0: right, right. Um, and, you know, at a big company like Specialized, talk to me about how uh, the division of labor is handled, because we're going to get to what it's like to be, a, a, you know, a one man band in a minute. Mm-hmm. But, but first, you know, you got a big company like Specialized, they've got a whole army of people to throw out a problem. How, how did you work within that company?
1: So, and this is, I mean, I'm not sure if things have changed now, but when I was there, you know, the product manager was kind of the person who set the direction for the product. Okay. This is what we want to do with the bike, um, kind of the big picture stuff. And the developer was the person who kind of got into the nuts and bolts of, of what the is and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, you had engineering team working with you as well to, to tweak any frame stuff, you know, or, or dropouts or designs like that. Mm-hmm. And then if you needed you know, bars and saddles. We had teams in the company who did that stuff as well. So they were all kind of developing stuff that you could pick and choose from. But if something wasn't what you needed, you could work with them to, to kind of drive what you needed as well. So, you know, for, for a company like that, you're you're, you're picking all the you know, the bars and stems and wheels and tires from uh, other people in the company, and you're, you're kind of going less outside to develop that stuff.
0: Mm-hmm. So, okay,
1: here's my bar and stem I'm using. Great. Here's my saddle. Here's my tire option. You know, on, on the lower price bikes, you're kind of doing your own thing on the wheels because you're not going to have a full uh, revolve wheel set on there or axis wheel set on there. So you're mm-hmm. kind of um, you know, putting that together yourself.
0: Understandable. Yeah. So, I mean, because it's not uh, an S-Works bike that has to be, you know, a representation of, the, of all the flagship products uh, mm-hmm. from Specialized, you're... I'm going to guess a little more driven by what the bottom line is for that bike. You got to hit a price point. You got to make sure you're hitting a, a certain profit margin.
1: Yeah. But, but even, you know, especially as it does a really good job of, of every bike is kind of a encapsulation of them as a brand. So even though it's not a flagship S works bike, there's still a lot of things you need to, to, to do and do in a specialized way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, we didn't have any issues with, with, uh, profit margins on there. Cause you're really looking at, at much, you know, whole order magnitude, bigger orders and things like that. So you, you have to get the, the pick of the, of the pile, I guess.
0: Very parts cool. Wise. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that led to some time with Fuji. Mm-hmm. Um, talk, talk to us about what those bikes were.
1: So that was kind of more focusing on the, the lifestyle urban side of things from, from Fuji um, great team there. One of the one of the best people I've worked with. I always had a good time in, in that office. Um, so it was kind of bittersweet to leave, but um, yeah, it, w- it was fun. You know, f- for me, I think sometimes some of those lifestyle bikes can be a bit more freeing um, than a road or mountain bike. Because you, that customer has a less um, exact idea of what their bike should look like.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, uh, a ten thousand dollar road bike has to fit within a pretty s- certain envelope you know, carbon, carbon wheels, electronic, you know, shifting, things like that. Whereas a comfort bike at 300 bucks, that person has a much different idea of what a bike is, um, even from the the next person buying that same bike. So you have a bit more freedom to to do that kind of fun stuff, I think.
0: Neat. Mm -hmm. Okay. So let's, let's dig now into a little bit more of what your job is now. You're, Mm -hmm. you're a product manager, uh, for bikes at Mozzie. I'm... I'm going to go out on a limb, and I'm going to suggest that being a product manager is the job every single shop mechanic thinks they want to have. It's the job most often second-guessed in the bike industry. At least that's that's what I think I've seen. Mm -hmm. Rarely, I think, do people really understand just how much work is involved in that. Let's talk about the scope of your job as product manager for Mozzie, mm-hmm. which I hope we can suggest is a smaller brand without insulting you.
1: No, no no insults at all. I mean, it's, <laughs> trust me, I, I've, you know, when I was in specialized and negotiating for, you know, 300,000 rims, it's a bit different than where we are here, and the numbers quite a bit smaller. So.
0: <laughs> okay. But you still have a, a significant number of bikes you're responsible for. Mm-hmm how many models uh, do you produce through Mozzie and then how many different price points uh, is the average model uh, offered at?
1: Uh, Well, I mean, it's kind of, you know, things kind of are, um, you know, each model is is different than having, um, you know, kind of sub models within a category. Mozzie, I think we have around 40 models total, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and then uh, for other brands we have more obviously, but, that's you know we have our what we call performance road our race bikes our gravel bikes our cross race you know our urban and then our kind of fixie and things and then our classic steel bikes so you know we, we don't go super deep in each category um but we try to kind of pick and choose where we think the you know the most important categories and price points are as well as kind of what mozzie is a brand and what, what bikes we need to have
0: mm-hmm. um so once you look at uh, you know all those different models and price points, um, what's that work out into in terms of uh, columns in Excel?
1: So, if a bike has you know each each bike has a we would call bill of materials or BOM. It's kind of our slang term for it. Between fifty and eighty lines per bike, mm-hmm. uh, and then obviously you would if there's more than one color in a bike, you'd have a second line where we're some of the components would be different as well. So, um, and that's, you know, head badge, frame, the barrel adjusters, the carton, the, the owner's manual, the stem, the stem extension per size, things like that. So there's, there's, you know, that, that 50 to 80 lines is, is, is the bike really mm. It's every little part of the bike. If it's not on that, it's not going on the bike.
0: Right. Right. Now, considering what, uh, you know, Mozzie is just one part of what Haro does. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's also the Del Sol Cruiser line. Yeah. Do you have responsibilities that flow over into those other brands? Yeah. So,
1: you know, Haro Corporate, I, I kind of you it to kind of the, the GM where that's kind of the corporate line. And in there you have the, the BMX side of the Haro business, which is huge. You know, we're, we're I think, probably the biggest BMX brand still. Um, you have Haro Mountain Bike or Haro Adult, depending on how you look at it. Uh, you have Mozzie and then you have Del Sol, which is comfort bikes, cruisers, things like that. Um, so I, I do all of Del Sol, all the, you know, product management and development for that brand as well. Uh, and then I do some of the, the Haro pavement stuff, some of the flat bar and trekking bikes that I'm pretty familiar with.
0: Very cool. Wow. And then we, we
1: have a, we have a BMX brand manager, a BMX product manager. We have a mountain bike product manager. And then you've got Kellen who is, um, also working with me on, on Del Sol, I'm sorry, on on Mozzie.
0: Yeah. Okay. So that kind of brings us to the next question. You know, as we've alluded to product management is different at small brands versus big ones. Um, you know, like your, your past at specialized, there may be several people working on a given bike, but the only you help the, (laughs) if I can speak, the only help you have, to my knowledge is, uh, Kellen. Um, how do you differentiate or how do you describe the difference between how you do things at Mozzie versus what you saw at Giant or what you did at specialized?
1: You know, here here at Mozzie and at Haro and Del Sol, all those, those brands rolled up into one. You know, it's it's really uh, you're doing it kind of you know your, yourself. If there's if there's engineering you have people you can work with, but a lot of this stuff you know is kind of dealt with in in-house here you know, it specialized and bigger companies. You spent, we spent a lot of time in, in meetings talking about, you know, different designs, dropouts, things like that, where here. Things happen a bit more quickly because there's, there's less, uh, hands in, in, involved in each bike, you know, so it means everyone's kind of doing a bit more. Kellen, Kellen's been here, got almost 10 years, I think with, with Haro. Oh. Um, so, so he's, if you talk about tribal knowledge, Kellen's kind of the guy to go to for questions about things that happened 10 years ago that he will remember. Um, and he's, he's done a bunch of different stuff here, but for the last couple of years, he's been doing product development uh, on the Mozzie stuff, um, helping me out. And a lot of it on the steel side of things, that's kind of, I mean, you've met him, that's kind of hit who he is. You know, the, the gravel bikes, the adventure bikes we've done have come from his head. Um, and, and yeah, it's possible for just about anyone to develop that bike, but to do it with the touches that he puts on them, you have to be kind of involved in that segment and, and kind of know what you need and what hasn't been done and what could be cool to do. So, um, for that, and and he's, he's fantastic. He's also the only guy here among us who can drive the truck and trailer (laughs) very well. So,
0: (laughs) (laughs) so I I guess part of what I want to get at in my question is, you know, your role at Mozzie, uh, your product manager, but then the job that you did as product developer at specialized Mm -hmm. is still That's just as much a part of your job. You know, you're, you're wearing eight hats.
1: They're they're rolled into one, you know, and, and I also work as kind of the brand manager working, you know, with uh, media folk and things like that on, on the brands as well. So, you know, here we're kind of developing the direction we want to go with the brand and Mm -hmm. the bikes. And then we're also kind of getting down into the nitty gritty and saying, okay, well, here's the color, here's the color uh, cables is going to have and all that stuff. So you're, you're, you're doing the big picture and the little picture, and then you're talking to you know, Red Kite Prayer, or Bicycle Magazine, or or News, You know, try to get bikes tested and, and things like that. Yeah. So it's 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 three or four hats uh, on any given day, mostly <laughs> that we're <laughs> what we're wearing.
0: Yeah, it's you know, it's really one thing to decide that your brand is going to offer, say, an endurance road bike. It's quite another to decide that you're going to offer that bike at four or five different price points. I think most of your models are offered at four price points. Am I correct?
1: Something like that. Yeah, it depends on the category. But but yeah, we, we have a couple for each.
0: Yeah. So I'd like you to talk a little bit about, you know, what the various price points are as you're, you know, mapping out what this model will be. And then the challenge of creating a bike that you feel will best serve the consumer while still hitting your target pricing. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm also curious about how once you've selected a price point for a bike at a particular spec level, you handle the compromises to make sure you hit that target.
1: Yeah, well, a lot of that, you know, the, the pricing and model stuff comes from sales or it's directed by sales, right? Because if, you know, if, if we make a bike that no one wants, then we're sitting on a bike. And if we don't make a bike that sales needs, then we're missing out as well. So there's a lot of there's a lot of back and forth with our sales department, both you know, here in the U S and internationally to make sure we have the right spread of bikes.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, we're also a pretty small company. So we have to make sure we're not trying to cover every, uh, every base. You know, we, we, we can't do that. There's no way we can, we can make that many bikes, you know, specialized giant Trek, um, Cannondale that they have a lot more bikes than us because they, they have a lot bigger reach.
0: Mm-hmm. You
1: know, our reach is much smaller. So we need to focus on what's best for us and where, where we can really make a difference.
0: Yeah, so, I uh, well, there, that leads to another question. Uh, you know, how do you decide? Okay, this is, uh, this is too into the weeds. This is something we shouldn't be chasing. Uh, but this is something we should be focusing on. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I mean, it also comes down to you know, roads have been a hard category for the last couple of years. You know, sales are, are not growing like they are with some of the other categories like mountain bike and our cruisers. You know, so we have to also f- see that. Okay, we'll. You know, road in general is not doing great. You know, where can we make the best, you know, so even for this year, we trimmed down some of our road bikes a little bit, you know, at the kind of twelve to $2,000 range, which is almost like a dead zone for a lot of folks and for us especially so. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also grew some of our gravel bikes in, in some of those same price points because we're seeing a lot of growth in, in gravel for us anyway. Cool. Interesting. You know? And then, so if you, if you say, if sales says, okay, we need a, a road bike at $1,000, for example, right um there's really not too many things you can do with some of the main shimano spec because you have to kind of if you're having a bike with a component group one or two levels below everyone else at a thousand bucks you're off the back immediately mm-hmm. but if you're the same spec but you can up spec some other stuff then you're you're doing better so you know once we have a retail price then we know what the re- dealer price has to be and then we know what our fob which is or a landed cost has to be and then we know what our yeah, our, our quote has to be. So you kind of work backwards from retail. Mm-hmm. Okay. The bike's a thousand bucks. The dealer price is X. The landed price has to be Y. And then our price quote from the factory has to be Z.
0: And, you know, for people who've never seen one of those spreadsheets before talk about, you know, the, the the depth of detail that you get into, you know, you mentioned color before and how that carton has to be different but there are an awful lot of little doodads that go on a bike. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: I mean, and, and that's, so the, the bill of materials is, is the big one, you know, and, but each one of those lines, you know, if, if I look at, at, um, owner of road bikes, okay, the handlebar, we have the vendor, we have the model, we have all that stuff, and then we have the artwork and that's our artwork that we developed, you know, or it's our handlebar we developed with them. So it may just be a line on a spreadsheet, but there's a lot of, Stuff that goes into making that actually happen, you know. So it's meeting with that the company who makes the handlebar at a trade show and negotiating pricing on that handlebar, finding the art, artwork, getting samples done, and then approving it. And then it can go on to the build materials. So you know, the the bomb, the end of the bike is a lot of work. But there's each one of those lines has so much work behind it to make it right.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the the bar tape, for example, we have our own branded bar tape. Um, and it's got silicone gel in it. It's, it's my favorite bar tape in the world. Um, but we have to develop that with, with the company. And then if we have a certain color, if, if there's minimum order quantities and negotiating that thing. So, you know, it's, 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 months and months and months and months of, of development to, for each one of these lines to then go onto this big line to then go onto a complete bike.
0: Yeah. Wow. So let's talk about the tools of your trade. Uh, I know from my experience writing copy for companies, you live in Excel spreadsheets and Skype. There's a lot of damn Skype, isn't there? Yeah,
1: yeah. I always, I always say uh, bikes are, are spreadsheets and plane seats.
0: It sounds
1: <laughs> sounds a little cheesy, but it's actually pretty spot on. Yeah, a lot of time Excel, and a lot of time sitting on a plane.
0: Right. Yeah. So I was also going to mention, yep, airline tickets and for at least a certain segment of your colleagues, sleep medications. Yeah. (laughs) Um, uh, Beyond just knowing how to enter data in a spreadsheet, talk about how much information you need to have on each individual part.
1: Uh, So it depends on, on the company, you know, if it's a, if it's a, uh like a stock if i'm taking a stock 3t handlebar it's really just okay here's the here's the category here's the model this is per line here's the item which is handlebar here's the vendor 3t description color and then cost and then below that i'll have a handlebar width that calls out handlebar width per size of bike yep um so that's pretty simple but if you come down to something a bit more difficult you know we have these custom barrel adjusters we did with this year that say mozzie instead of having the jaguar logo Mm -hmm. so that's that's our own little custom part number because i've approved the logo on this part and the quote i negotiate with them and that kind of goes into there so yeah each one of these lines got a a pretty decent amount of information on it that has to be 100 percent right (laughs) otherwise the the bike doesn't get assembled properly or there's an issue down the line with oh someone put a nine speed chain on a 10 speed bike because the part number is x9 instead of x10 it's one one digit off
0: Things like that. Oh, okay. So we've begun to skip to scrape the surface on the subject of vendors. Um, let's take a model like the Evoluzione, which I reviewed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, We'll talk about it coming from the factory, you know, in terms of like, you know, in the course of, you know, a bike shop employee talking about the sale or me talking in a review, bike comes from factory and Mm -hmm. bike arrives at warehouse, you know, stateside. But really, that doesn't begin to tell even half the story. You know, you've often got factories for the frame set as well as one for the assembly. Mm -hmm. You know, looking at the Evoluzione, how many different vendors were involved in that bike? Ballpark, you know. And then, how do you guarantee that everything is shipped on time so that the assembly factory uh, can make sure that it assembles the bike and it's ready to be shipped out? You know, the containers worth of of bikes are ready to be shipped out on schedule.
1: Yeah. So on that on that bike, then we have a frame vendor. Uh, who who makes the frame and a lot of times the frame vendor will paint the frame for the company. But for us, we have our frames painted by our assembler. Um, so the, the bike ship from the factory to our assembly factory, um, what we call RTP are ready to paint. Uh, and for, for us, it's kind of nice. You know, we, our assembly factory is, is one of our um, shareholders. So um, we're, it's like family, right? It's not just a business relationship. It, you're, you're a little closer than that because they, 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 one of our owners mm-hmm. so we're or at least for, for, for us it's a bit more you have a bit more resources uh to, there and actually my my, my guy at, at the factory his name is daniel huang he is he is my uh I, I don't think we can make bikes without him without his help and support he's he's almost like the you know the third product manager here for mozzi um so he, he does a lot for us uh, over there more than I think a normal assembly factory would do. Uh, a lot of companies have have offices in Taiwan, and, and for us, our, our assembly factory is kind of our Taiwan office. Mm-hmm. So the bike, you know, the frame ships to the assembly factory. Um, and for us, we, we place the order for a complete bike with the assembly factory. Here's this part number, here's the price for an Evo Durace bike, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, we have already negotiated pricing on the bike and negotiated spec and done all that stuff months and months and months before. So everything's set in stone. So they know if we want a a bike to ship on August 1st, they have to order a frame, you know, five months ahead of time. The Shimano lead time is 90 days. They have to order that. So everything kind of comes together at the last minute. Um, And it's a lot of things to juggle, obviously. Um, But at least in Taiwan, you've been to Taichung, you know, that that's the heart of the bike industry in Asia, Mm -hmm. you know, so if there's an issue, chances are the company is just down the street or across town, things like that. So you, you can get things done pretty quick um, with a phone call.
0: Yeah. Now, you go over there a fair number of times each year. Mm-hmm. Um, in an average year, a normal year, how many times will you go to Taichung? Uh,
1: four to six times to Asia, I'd say. Um, you know, I, I do bikes in, in China as well. So sometimes it's a, I fly to China, then fly to Taiwan, then fly home from there. Sometimes I'm just in in China. Sometimes I'm just in Taiwan. Um, but if you're over there, it makes sense to, you know, get over to Taiwan or to China if you need to get get there, versus having to fly from the U.S.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: So you know, anywhere between, yeah, you know, four to six times. That could be up to, you know, two months a year, two and a half, three months a year total, added up.
0: Oof, yeah. So I mean, that brings me to one of the really. Uh, most curious parts of your job or, or the, you know, anyone who's dealing with Asia a lot, um, you know, a yank to be successful as a product manager really has to make peace with Asia has to really come to embrace uh, Asia and just how different that culture is. Uh, I'd like to hear you talk a little bit about, you know, because you're somebody who, who really enjoys it. And, you know, my first trip over, you gave me a lot of pointers and took me out to a great restaurant uh, in addition. Um, just talk to me about, you know, the need uh, to to be to really enjoy Asia and, you know, how you've come to appreciate it.
1: I, I, I mean, Taichung is one of my favorite cities in the world. Um, I love going over there. So, um, you know, when I lived in Philadelphia, I knew how to get from my house to work and back essentially, but that was about it. Whereas in Taichung, I, and you can drop me pretty much anywhere in the city. And I can find my way home or find my way to Bollywood, which I think was where we went, the Indian place that where I took you. Yes. Yeah. Bollywood. It's my, <laughs> my favorite place there as well. So, um, you know, Taichung is fantastic. There's, there's, you're in town, there's always gonna be someone, you know, uh, in town from the States or from another country, um, bike person, because that's just how it is. Or there's people who have moved over there either temporarily or permanently, that you know, you know, uh, Western folks. And then there's a lot of just fantastic Taiwanese people who I've become, you know, extremely close with. You know, my my old uh, product guy from Schwinn days. You know, we're, we're great friends this day. And, and every time I'm out there, we have dinner with his family and his wife and kids, and we catch up. So he's 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 a great friend and someone I I, I see every time I'm over there. Yeah. You know, the, the The food is fantastic. The riding, as you know, is, is amazing. As long as you don't mind going up hills <laughs> and, and sweating yeah. in the humidity, uh, you know. And the city, for as crazy as it is, it's it's you know everyone's on a uh, scooter, and you can pretty much go the same speed. So on a bike, you're you're pretty safe. And then if you leave in the morning, no one's awake at six a.m., so the streets are empty. It's it's almost kind of weird.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it it is a a city that seems to get started, you know, at a particular time. It's not like other big cities where, you know, the, the activity only increases. Uh, yeah. If you leave early enough, it really is pretty dead, but you know, I gotta say, I mean, you know, you go into a shopping mall, you know, uh, and there are, you know, live eels in a bucket. Mm -hmm. Um, There are some very, very distinct cultural differences. Um, And, you know, you seem to have embraced all that, Um, you know, and I mean, I'm all for diversity. I want to I don't want people to think that uh, this is um, xenophobia or anything. But um, of all the places I've been in the world, I'd have to say Taichung is the most different from the U.S. of any place I've been.
1: Yeah, I mean, we haven't even scratched the the mainland China uh, service yet. That's a whole other can of worms. But I think ta- Taiwan and, and Taichung and, and Taipei are, are pretty international cities. You know, uh, Taipei especially, but Taichung for the bike industry. You know, so you, you can go you can go get anything you want. There's, there's a fan, there are two two fantastic uh, diner style places there um, that we we go to if you need a burger and a milkshake. You know, or you know, my favorite Indian place in the world is, is there, you know, there's great Thai food, there's great, you know, uh, Asian food, Taiwanese, uh, food, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, just the coffee shops don't open until 10 or 11. That's what kills me. <laughs> the last couple of years have been this really growth of these fantastic little coffee shops and they all open at 10. Oh, <laughs> so, you know, when I'm getting going in the morning and I need, I need my coffee, as, as you all well know, um, it, uh it hurts to <laughs> have to go to Starbucks instead of having the, you know that great place that's within a walking distance of the hotel
0: Wow yeah so
1: you know and and I you know we stay we say one of two or three hotels you know which are all within a quarter mile of each other and you can walk to any restaurant that's worth going to from there so once once you're out of the factory you're you're pretty much free to do whatever you want it's it's great you know I, I buy my daughter's shoes there all the time cause they have these fantastic bright, colorful Nike that you can't get in the States.
0: So uh, one of my favorite yeah. things to
1: do is buy her shoes.
0: Yeah, I, I, I bought shirts because it's hard for me to get shirts that fit me here in the States because I'm not a big guy.
1: Yeah, no, I, I can't buy any clothes or shoes there. So <laughs> I'm a little, a little unfortunately out of that.
0: Yeah. You know, I mean, as you've alluded to, to be a product manager is to travel. How many different com- countries have you visited just for work?
1: It's not all that many. That's the funny thing. I mean, it's five or six, you know. But then, you know, my my passport doesn't expire for a couple more years, but it's full. I have to get a new one. Like I've I've completely filled my passport, um, and you go through it, and it's it's Taichung, it's JFK, it's Zurich, it's Hong Kong, it's uh, Shenzhen, you know, China. It's it's there's not a whole lot of uh, variation there, but Mm -hmm. there's a lot of quantity.
0: I can, um, yeah, I can appreciate that. You,
1: you know, we're, we're a smaller company, so we don't do as many events in other countries and things like that. You know, I know I have friends who just had a product launch in Norway, for example, for, for a bike. And that looked like an incredible time. Yeah. You know, we, we don't really have those resources to do that. So most of my travel is based around trade shows or, or evacuated and things like that.
0: Yeah. Um, speaking of which, you know, that's one of the other things I wanted to ask about Taiwan bike week. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for for our listeners who uh, are unaware of how business is done in Asia, talk a little bit about what Taiwan Bike Week is and what you do while you're there. So, kind of how
1: things were until they changed some of the dates this year was <laughs> was there's the, you know there's a thing called Taipei Cycle in uh, March generally. Um, that's kind of a, a big Taiwan trade show. It's almost like the interbike of Taiwan. So there's all sorts of vendors selling stuff there. So you would go there and um, and kind of discuss the products for this coming year in, in broad terms. And then you go to your bike in the middle of the year and you get a bit more information. And then you go to Bike Week where you're really sitting down and say, okay, we, we've chosen these parts and this part and this part. And that's kind of you know, our direction to go. Or you start negotiating pricing uh, on final stuff. Because generally after Bike Week is when you have to get your bikes finalized. So it's kind of the last chance to see anything new or um, – uh, make any changes to kind of what your plans are. Cause by that time you, you flesh in a, a good percentage of what your bike is mm-hmm. and just wait, just waiting for a couple other, you know, okay, here's, here's a cool new pedal we saw for a comfort bike that we have to use, or here's a cool new stem or here's a new finish on something that you can, you can think about. Yeah. Um, so, so I, I, it's kind of like a, a farmer's market for, for, for OEM bike suppliers, you know, so you, you go kind of booth to booth and you meet, okay, this is who I use for these parts. I'm going to sit down with them and talk about a bunch of stuff. And then you move on to the next booth an hour later and you talk about things. Um, you know, we, we were a big partner with 3T last year. Um, we were able to kind of work with them on, a, on a, getting raw stems from them, which we were custom painting to match our bikes. And that was something new that we started with them, you know, before uh, bike week and kind of finalized there with our factory, make sure, okay, this, we're going to do this. Mm-hmm. So things like that happen, happen at bike week.
0: You're also known for your little signature, Mark, of uh, three colored links in your chains. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, what, what's it take to get something like that done? I mean, you could just order, you know, uh, a Shimano chain with your Shimano group set. That would yep. be really easy. How much work is it to do something that just gives a bike that extra little spark?
1: That one was pretty hard, actually. We had to go to the president of the company, of the chain company to get approved on that because it was a hassle for them. And we actually, we've actually expanded to five links this year because I wanted to, to shine a bit more. But, um, you know, I, I guess I guess I always like having something on the bike that's interesting and cool that people don't see right away, you know, and then it becomes kind of this cool surprise that, oh, well, if they think about the little stuff, they might think about the big stuff as well, mm-hmm. you know. So I just think something like that is neat. You know, on on some of our comfort bikes, we actually paint the inside of the fenders in a contrasting highlight color. So, yep. from the right angle, you, it's this great shot of of this hidden color, but you wouldn't see it day to day. So, I think it kind of makes it cool and something special for the for the person who has the bike.
0: Well, that's one of the things. I mean, that's one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you was that given the scope of your duties and, you know. Um, how thoroughly thought through the bikes are, you know, how many special little details there are to make it more than just somebody else's parts on your frame. There's a pretty incredible attention to detail necessary to be able to do your job uh, well enough to be successful in it.
1: Yeah, I think that's kind of part of it, you know, is is being able to see all those little things. Mm-hmm. and And... and you know see what sets the bike apart.
0: Yeah. Uh, um now we're at a point in the year where people are starting to hear about 2019 models. Um your your 2019 models are at the assembly factory? Where where are they in the, in the process?
1: It depends on the bike, I guess. You know, some of the entry level stuff is is either in production or will be shortly. Mm-hmm. You Yeah, know, but the higher end stuff is still still a little ways out.
0: Okay. And at this point, the 2020 models that you've done, they're finalized or soon to be finalized?
1: Well, we have the we have general outline of what they are. You know, we don't finalize the bikes till we get pricing from companies like Shimano and things like that, which happens at, you know, at, or just after Bike Week.
0: Okay. Okay. And now in terms of 2021, uh, to what degree are you working on product for that model year?
1: It, I mean, it depends on the, on the product. If you're looking for, for carbon stuff, it takes a lot longer to develop that. Mm-hmm. So obviously the, the timeline is a bit longer, you know, uh, aluminum or steel projects do take a little less time to, to develop. So we're able to do this a little quicker.
0: Gotcha. Wow. Um, does it get difficult for you to switch gears between thinking about the various model years and what you're doing for, for each of those bikes?
1: Yeah, it's kind of funny actually. Um, you know we, we we're in twenty eighteen you know by twenty nineteen bikes are done and we're thinking about twenty twenty so it's easy to get kind of lost in in <laughs> in the sea of uh of different uh, different model years and and calendar years and fiscal years and things like that.
0: Yeah, I think that would be that would be a difficult gear for me to shift. I've never been in that position of really having to. So I I, I don't know, but it sounds uh that sounds like a challenge. <laughs> Yeah. Um, dude, uh, you know, thank you so much for this. It's been really fascinating. Um, you know, we got to get you up here for a ride or I got to get down and visit you guys. There are a couple more models on your roster that I certainly want to review.
1: Yeah, both sound good. I'd love to get up there and and do some riding. And then of course, anytime you're down here, we have tacos and bikes and beaches.
0: (laughs) It's a good combination. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Excellent. James, thank you so much.
1: Patrick, thank you, and uh, I'll look forward to to talking to you soon.
0: Thanks to my guest, James Winchester, for joining me on The poll. To learn more about Mozzie, you can visit them at mozziebikes.com. There will be a link in our show notes at Red Kite Prayer. That's it for this episode of The poll. I hope you enjoyed it, and if you did, I hope you'll leave the show a good review on iTunes or wherever you get your media. Finally, if you're not already listening to RKP's other podcast, The Pace Line, co-hosted by Celine Yeager, a.k.a. The Fit Chick from Bicycling Magazine. I encourage you to give us a listen. Until next week, have a great ride.